Hello, everybody. How are you doing? I hope you can hear me. Uh, let me know from the chat if you can hear me loud and clear. My name is Dr. Caroline Opinde. I am the founder of the NGO Whisperer Center for Social Impact. Um, let me know to all who are listening to us here. Let me know that you can hear me before we kick off. Um, thank you so much. Awesome. Wonderful. Welcome to Twitter Spaces. Thank you so much. Uh, as we wait for our host, Kumo Dutot, to join us, uh, I would just like to thank Standard Bank for setting up these Twitter Spaces, Financial Dependence and GBV. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to discuss the link between finances and gender-based violence. Financial abuse is currently understood to be one of the six kinds of abuse um, and others being physical, mental, verbal, sexual, and cultural. And today, myself, as well as our second guest, uh, Cheryl Klabane, uh, who is a speaker and activist and the manager and spokeswoman of the Frida Hartley Shelter for Women and Children. We will be joining you uh, on this conversation. You can join this conversation on at standardbank.za, uh, at standardbankza on Twitter and use the hashtag hear her voice, hashtag hear her voice. So as you make comments, as you share, we would like you to use those hashtags and also tag standardbank at standardbank.za. Um, if you are a victim of abuse and need help, Please look out for the link to our blog, to the Standard Bank blog, which will be posted on Twitter during this session. It also includes resources which are uh, uh, access to uh, shelter and counseling support. So um, we will start off. We will start off. And as our host uh, joins us, uh, please let me know and then I will hand over. So for now, we will start, uh, I will be moderating and also discussing with uh, my fellow guests. I would just like to invite her, Cheryl, welcome. Um, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm excited to unpack uh, finances and GBV and what the link is. And um, again, I'm excited about a hashtag hear her voice. It's about time that we really hear women's voices and hear women's cries and come out with practical solutions. Um, uh, I'm extremely excited to be here. Thanks to Standard Bank for creating this platform. Um, financial abuse is really a big thing and it's really under look um, under the GBV space because a lot of time um, physical abuse really does take uh, precedent because you can see physical scars and therefore people are more sympathetic to that. However, uh, financial abuse, nobody really talks about it. So I'm glad that we are able to unpack it today and what the link is. And yeah, I'm glad to have a great conversation with everyone. Wonderful. We will start off with this question that people sometimes wonder, is there a link between uh, 
finances and GBV. I know you've alluded to that, Cheryl, but let's go <laughs> deeper into this discussion so that people can understand because you know what? Sometimes people go through abuse and they don't even know that it is a form of abuse. So take Absolutely. us through um, definitely, there's a huge link between finances and abuse, and um, I work in the spaces of sheltering. So I shelter organization Frida Hartley Shelter, shelters women who are fleeing an abusive intimate partner, fleeing an abusive um, family member, victims of rape, and anybody that finds themselves homeless due to socioeconomic reasons. So there is a huge link. We have a lot of women who come through um who are fleeing the abusive intimate partners because um, they depend, number one, they've been in this relationship because they are dependent on them financially um, because they are either not working or they are coming out of town to move into a new town and relocating with the lover who then is the controller of the finances in the house. And we understand that control is also like a big form of um, abuse where your abuser will either control you emotionally uh, or control you financially so that they can have a hold of you. Um, a lot of times also, uh, I think during the COVID as well, we've had quite a number of women who are coming through to our organization because of uh, social economic reasons, because they've lost the places where they're staying, because they've lost their jobs, because they don't have any side hustles, and they really just were depending on one source of income and unfortunately have lost their jobs and did not have proper financial literacy in terms of saving enough money for rainy days. So um, there is a huge link and um, it does take a woman about seven attempts in order for them to leave their intimate um, abusive partner and because they are still planning on an exit plan and that exit plan includes one crucial thing which is ensuring that they have enough finances to go out there and start their lives um, because if they don't have enough money unfortunately a lot of them end up going back um, because they don't have a choice. Uh, Cheryl, you have mentioned important things that we uh, that I want us to point out again and focus on. When it comes to finances and abuse and any form of abuse, it could be physical, mental, and all that. There is the power dynamics, and that Absolutely. is something. And that is something that money gives you. Money gives you power, and if Absolutely. you lack it then you don't have it let's 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 interrogate this issue of lack of finances <laughs> and how and how it relates to gbv because many people don't understand it it is something that we need to talk about so that women and girls and even uh boys who are in families where their mother is experiencing this can mm -hmm. understand mm -hmm. it is a power thing and money gives you power So you've mentioned that, and another thing that you've mentioned is the issue of the interrelation between the other different types of abuse. So mm -hmm. we're talking about link between finances and GBV, but Absolutely. again, there is this thing that says, oh, does financial abuse really exist in our society? People might ask, oh, does it really exist? Um, absolutely. Power dynamics again. 
power and a lot of men do to intimidate women financially so um, in, in, in this day and age, we, I mean, we all go through Twitter every single day and we hear stories, gruesome stories of women who are reiterating how they went for interviews and saying, in order for me to give you this job, I need to then sleep, you will get this job. Um, women who are sharing those stories and saying, yes, uh, because of desperation, I did sleep with this particular person to get the job, but then it didn't end there because I had to continuously, um, continuously sleep with this person uh, in order for him not to fire me in this position. So power dynamics. Again, we also look at stats where a lot of young girls get raped, especially in impoverished areas, um, or a lot of young girls are pregnant at a very tender age. And because they... It is, they, they are poor. Poverty is one of the biggest things as well. So they are poor and they are looking for money to feed. And in some instances, it's actually their families who sell out their young girls to men who are traveling in trucks and transiting through KZN or through the Eastern Cape and who sell out their young girls to sleep with these truck drivers because of poverty, because they lack finances, because they lack food to put on the table. So there is a huge link and it's so diverse that people really think it's your boyfriend or your husband, uh, you know, wanting you to stay at home and be a stay-at-home mom and controlling the finances so that he can do whatever he wants. Um, however, the dynamics of just the financial dependency or men hold in, in, in positions of power and them taking control and then abusing that power by then, you know, doing whatever they want to do upon women. Thank you so much. Uh, just want to remind our audience to continue using the hashtag hear her voice. Hashtag hear her voice. Use it and also tag at standardbank.za so as we continue with this conversation and if you have any questions remember to post them in the chat and also hashtag so we can know who you are where you are coming from and experiences that you may have if you have questions please post them there you have raised uh, uh um circumstances different circumstances you talked about uh at work You've talked about mm -hmm. school. You've talked about mm -hmm. in the community in general. So mm -hmm. generally, all these different types of abuse, specifically uh, with relation to finances and GBV, can happen in the workplace. When you're looking for Absolutely. promotion, seeking for promotion. It can happen mm -hmm. at school. It can happen um, in the home. It can happen in a place uh, in government offices, when you are seeking for documents, when you are seeking Absolutely. for uh, uh, services. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So all these things are interrelated. I want us to talk about men and how mm -hmm. uh, we can educate our boys and our men to respect women. Share with us some of the examples of the work that you do. Um, I think one of the most important things, I think, really, it's to go back to the root um, and change the dynamics within the household. Um, I think men seem to think that, I mean, of course, we understand that men are the head of the household, um, but 
how do we then ensure that um, that does not go into the head where men then feel like they have control over women? And I think one of the most important things for us as mothers, I'm sure there are mothers that are listening here or um, people who have younger siblings, um, what we witness in our household where um, our younger brothers were kind of spoiled, where younger brothers were not, you know, um, allowed to do chores in the home, where our younger brothers were not allowed to cook in the house because that's work that is dedicated for a young woman and because we are being groomed to become somebody's wife. And I think once we change those power dynamics in the home from the beginning, we will then be able to change the narrative around abuse. We find um, a lot of young girls who are staying with their boyfriends in rest, not because these young men are in love with them or they want to marry them, but because these young men can't cook. And that's one thing that people don't understand is that cooking is not uh, a gender skill. Cooking is a survival skill. So learning to cook for both women and men is imperative. Learning to clean for both women or for boys and girls is imperative so that you as a man also, you don't find yourself staying with somebody's daughter in your house that you don't like or don't intend to marry, but you are using that young person so that they can do those chores for you internally. Um, and also just another thing that I like to reiterate is that men really need to understand that the empowerment of women is not the disempowerment of men. And that also with the woman in, in, in that sense as well, that as we continue to empower these women, we get that we need to also bring the men to par because um, we can't empower women and not do the same for these young boys. Who are we then empowering for? Um, and also just continuously having these conversations with men and including men. I see a lot of dialogues where, you know, we are talking about issues that are affecting women um, but are being perpetrated by men, but we don't include men in these conversations. How will they know? You know, like, um, you know, in our sheltering spaces, um, we have conversations, we facilitate dialogues where we include men and so that they can see first value in terms of what happens when a woman is displaced. Um, men think, oh, I'll just hit her or I will just rape her and that's it. But there's psychological, long-term psychological effects of that which they don't understand. Um, you know, just another example. So if I'm staying with my husband or my boyfriend and in a comfortable home anywhere sent in with my kids, if anything happens in this household and this man beats me up, I'm the one that gets displaced. It's me and my kids that are moved from our home to go into a shelter and the perpetrator continues to stay at home and continues to enjoy his life. And then what then happened? I then move into a shelter where my kids can no longer go to the school that they go to because it's too far. So my kids get displaced and I was living in a two household income. So therefore now my lifestyle has to change. My finances have to change because I'm no longer with the person who was giving me who was paying the bond or half of the bond or we were sharing half of the groceries or the utilities or the school fees so there's a lot that happens with you know within the abuse space itself people just think oh you hit somebody and they move into a shelter and then after three to six months they get back into their normal life the psychological um effect of that is 
so prolonging. And not only that, but it also affects the children. So children, you know, children, monkey see, monkey do. So if you're in a household where a father predominantly hits the mother and there's a boy and a girl, this young man is going to obviously emulate his father. His father is his role model. When he grows up, he wants to be like his father. He's going to want to find a woman that he can beat and control. But not only that, he then also wants a woman like his mother, a woman who will persevere. You know, I think we've had in instances where you've been in an abusive relationship where a man says, um, you, are, you know, I wish you were just like my mother or something, you know, uh, alluding to along those lines because his mother endured abuse. His mother, you know, would smile and get beaten and the next day continue as if nothing has happened. Um, and therefore, he then thinks that's normal. But not only that, even the young girl that sees that thinks you know love is is it hurts and they want a man like their fathers and they believe yeah. that that's abuse and that's love if mom can stay in a relationship like that um because uh, you know uh, we are all about oh we've been in a marriage for 25 years um and we can't obviously leave this partner or whatever it is so she would also grow up thinking oh that's normal and she would obviously gravitate towards men who hit her there are women up to today who still think that if my boyfriend does not hit me he does not yeah. love me and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that child it's unfortunate that they they are well that was their world view and that's what they the environment that they grew up in and they thought they still think that's something that is normal so we really have to be careful what how we raise our kids and um also i just want to apologize because i need to to step out and leave because i have another commitment at half past six but um if there are mothers and if there are people, you know, young people who potentially want to become mothers and fathers, um, one of the things that we need to understand is that when we raise our kids, we don't raise them for us. We raise them yeah. for the world. These kids are going to be one day somebody's friend, somebody's husband, somebody's wife, somebody's colleagues. So we really need to be cognizant of what the things that we expose them at an early age because they are like SpongeBob. They will grasp, they will soak it in and kids will will emulate and show all of that in patterns that you might not understand because you are not psychologically trained to understand that when a child behaves that way they've been exposed to certain things so we really need to be cognizant to the things that we expose ourselves to the things that we say in front of our kids yeah. of our nieces, yeah. in front of our nephews, um, and just in front of our families because we don't know who is watching. And I think one last thing also um, that I would like to reiterate before I leave is that um, a lot of times a lot of people think um, I am not going to stand against GBV or I'm not going to say anything against GBV because it doesn't affect me directly. Um, and like I said, because people predominantly think that, um, you know, it's only physical abuse, that it's really predominant, but there are different types of abuse that are available and you have touched based on the six types and I think you will unpack them later. But yes. if you don't speak out, you are also part of the problem. People who believe that if they don't act, it's okay because it doesn't affect them, it doesn't affect their, their families, they are part of the, the problem and that their silence is definitely violence and we really need to speak out and hear her story and understand her story and be empathetic to people who are going through various types of abuse because abuse does not just have scars. Oh, thank you so much, Cheryl. Um, 
Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you making time. And even as you go, we just are so honored to have you today to share this uh, one last parting shot, very short and sweet message to women and girls yes. who may be experiencing financial or economic abuse. Keep it short and sweet before you head out. Um, I think take back your power, uh, find people or organizations that can assist you with financial literacy. It is really, really imperative to have your money or to be in a position of power. I know that we all like nice things and we look at social media and we feel like we want the things that other people um, are having. But, um, you know, I think it's very important to understand that as much as we see people driving beautiful cars and living in beautiful homes, there are a lot of people who are homeless in their own homes and you don't know what they're going through in order to get that money. So take back your power and find somebody that will listen to you. And we are here as different organizations. Um, please speak out, share with your friends, share with your family, um, contact whoever you need to contact in order for you to be heard. But we are here and we will hear you and we will listen to you and we will give you the help that you need. Thank you so much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, continue to contribute to the conversation. Thank you, Cheryl Matlavane from Frida Hartley Shelter for women and children. We appreciate you. Bye-bye. Keep well. And as we say goodbye to Cheryl as she steps out, I would like to welcome Kumo Detroit, who's joining us. Kumo, are you here? Dr. Abinda, nice to hear from you. Uh, I never thought I would enjoy hearing your voice as much as I do today. And exactly like you said, as one guest leaves, uh, I'm, I'm here to join you in the conversation. Um, thank you very much for holding the fort in, in the face of the technical challenges that I've been, that I've been experiencing. Um, but yes, definitely a worthwhile conversation. And I think, you know, Cheryl, just in her closing um, sort of comments, made so many vital points, right, around the role that we as society can play in terms of eradicating gender-based violence. I just want to remind everybody on, on this space today that if you'd like to join in the conversation, you can tag us at Standard Bank ZA if you are listening live here on Twitter and use the hashtag HearHerVoice. We would love to hear from you um, and we will keep an eye on our feed as well. And if you are a victim of abuse and need help, please make sure to look out for the link. That's um, a link to our blog post, which is going to be posted on our Twitter timeline during this session. And that's going to include lots of resources for anybody who is in need of, um, of urgent care or counseling and shelter as well. Um, Dr. Pindo, you know, as I said, uh, Cheryl made a lot of, you know, very valid and impactful points, uh, you know, sort of in her closing statements. And what I'd really love to hear from you is around the role that uh, we can play in terms of educating men and boys in their role in ending GBV, right? Um, Cheryl made a very uh, poignant statement when she said silence is violence, and we know that the, the trend tends to be, well, I'm not one of those men, or this isn't my problem because I'm not an abuser or I'm not a violent person. What can we do to educate those men and boys around their role in ending gender-based violence? Thank you, Kumar. That's a really important thing uh, that we need to understand. Um, gender-based violence is not just about uh, men and women, men against women. Remember, children in that home, as Cheryl mentioned, are affected, and any other dependent. 
Sometimes we even forget the older persons in the home, our gogos in the home, they are affected by the violence that is there. When we speak about financial abuse, we also experience this when we work with older persons. Now, how do we educate boys and men to be allies, to be champions for the prevention of gender-based violence? First, it starts with knowledge. There's something called knowledge, attitudes, and perceptions. When you change this, three things about an individual, you can change their behaviors. Knowledge comes from learning, educational spaces like this that Standard Bank has created. You know, when you hashtag, this hashtag will go on and on and on like forever. When someone goes online, they get this information, they learn about it. But we also have to be intentional about our education. We have to be intentional about how this knowledge trickles down and how this knowledge affects our attitude and our perception and our practices. Knowledge, attitudes, perceptions, and practices have to change. We can change this by providing training. It could be in, in spaces like this. It could also be through um, collaborations with places of worship or religious uh, places or churches mosques, whatever it is that someone believes in, because why? Our religious leaders and leaders in our societies who people look up to, your celebrities, uh, your local celebrities, your uh, uh, global celebrities, when they share this message, people value it and therefore want to be like them because we look up to them. So number one is on education but it must be intentional. Number two mm. is, by actually, is by actually calling out what is not right when we see it. We have seen abuse in the face of you know, uh, our, our celebrities where uh, someone abusing the partner, we need to call it out. We have seen at times when uh, a very well-known politician is abusing uh, uh, the wife or girlfriend or uh, uh, or someone in their in, in their lives financially, we need to call it out. Like you said, size is violence. If we keep quiet, people will think that is the norm, and people will think, "Oh, that's how we do things. It's our culture. We need to change that." So that's how we change people's knowledge attitudes, perceptions, and practices. And one of the things that I wanted to call out is many people do not think that financial abuse, refusing to give someone money for anything is an abuse. It is an abuse. And I just want to give a very good definition of it. It is when someone, a person financially dependent, by maintaining total control over financial resources, withholding access to money, or forbidding attendance to school or employment. We've had incidences where um, a, a significant other refuses money for someone to go to school to teach them a lesson, refuses money for someone to go to the hospital when they say they are ill. That is economic abuse. That is financial abuse. But people don't know it. And it's an important one. 
And it's an important one to call out, Dr. Pinder, right? Because often when we speak of abuse, we we often tend to categorize it under the more commonly spoken um, sort of aspects of abuse, right? We talk about physical, sexual, or verbal abuse because it's what we tend to be most familiar with. It's what we have the the vocabulary to describe, right, at this point. Um, but it is commonly known and is becoming more commonly known, as Cheryl uh, mentioned a little bit earlier as well, around these six types of abuse. And something that you you mentioned earlier was around you know, as part of the, the the work we need to do around knowledge, attitudes, and perceptions, when we're educating each other and educating our communities, we need to be able to know what we're looking for, right? Which is we're understanding these six different types of abuse. So I've touched on the, the three main ones that we tend to think of, but also cultural and mental abuse, and then as well as the financial abuse that you've just defined. Um, a question then is, how do we then, if, if we think of um, those instances that the more we think of what the definition is, the more we start to recognize being able to see that being you know, lived out in our community, how do we then start to educate men and boys to avoid using finances as a form of power in a relationship and stop those cycles? So one of the things about power is if you don't have power, you don't even know where to begin <laughs> Kumo, if someone doesn't have power they don't even know where to what to do they're just quiet they're numb and one of the things about abuse is it doesn't come uh, and and you recognize it and you say today i experienced uh um economic or financial abuse it all comes together because it is uh, uh it is accompanied by psychological violence it's accompanied by emotional violence it's accompanied by beating and kicking and slapping and uh, and sometimes it's even accompanied by sexual abuse so someone is experiencing all those and the only thing the person will say is i was beaten but they won't remember that i was beaten because i asked for money for school fees right mm. So, so, so it's not something that you say, oh, I will call out this and call out this and go down and say, okay, uh, today it was financial abuse, tomorrow, you know, this happened. No, it all happens together. And that's why it is so complex that what people can actually share with others or report to the police is usually the physical abuse. It's usually the rape. It's usually the sexual violence. Now, how do we educate men? First and foremost, it's not just about educating men only. It's also about creating spaces where women can now identify the different uh, things that happen or different things that they experience as they experience these forms of abuse and also to give them the power to say, you have the power, the first power that every one of anyone or anyone experiencing abuse needs to know is they have the power to speak up. That's number one. You have the power mm. to speak up. You might not have the money, Kumo. You might not have the power to beat this guy up or to fight with them because they are stronger than you. You might not have the power to do so many things, but you have a voice. And that's one of the most powerful things for someone who is actually coming up to know that you have the power. Doesn't matter how many times you've been beaten, how many times you've been in that relationship, how many years you've been denied or you have gone through sexual abuse, you can speak up today. And today can be the beginning of a new thing. 
Now, how men become allies is when men stand up, stand up with whoever it is. It could be a woman, it could be a neighbor, it could be your sister, it could be your auntie, it could be your own mother. Help them to speak up, hold their hand. Because of the intimidation, sometimes they have been threatened and they've been told, if you say something, I will kill you. Or they tell you, if you say something, I will kill the person you love or your child. We've had those incidences where someone went ahead and actually did those things, killed somebody or killed someone you love. And so you are afraid, but you still have the power to speak up regardless of all this. So speaking up is one of the most powerful things that we can do to help. Of course, we've talked about education. We've talked about knowledge. Yes. We've talked about change in our attitudes. Our traditional practices, our traditional practices, are, some of them are so retrogressive that they actually promote gender-based violence and financial abuse because the land belongs to men in, in inheritance. So if you're a woman and you ask for land from your father, let's say you are not married, you ask for land from your father, you're told no. You must look for a husband and then you will inherit the land is given by by the by the by their family. And so we need to challenge. We need to challenge this. And that's where NGOs come in, nonprofit organizations, non-governmental organizations come in. But men also have to be champions. They have to be champions in their families and hold the hands of women and anyone else who's going through abuse. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when, when you mention sort of historical cultural practices and things like that, uh, there's certainly a lot of room for a mindset shift in terms of, um, you know, practices that we can create a space for financial independence and, and a, a desire for financial independence for women, right? And um, particularly from the perspective of education and realizing what is possible. Um what are some of the things that you can that you can suggest or what are some of the ways that we can start to empower women to consider their own financial independence so you use the example uh just now around you know if you're asking for land from your father but the the land belongs to men what are some of the ways that we can start to shift that narrative around financial independence and the importance of financial independence Ah, that's very important. And I always say this to the nonprofit organizations that I work with, because that's our mandate to empower nonprofits, organizations, equip them so they can better serve the people. Skills development and training in financial literacy and entrepreneurship is no longer a nice to have skill. It is an, a must to have skills. And these skills need to be taught in school. Yes, we've got business studies in school, but business studies doesn't teach you financial literacy and entrepreneurship in the way it happens in the marketplace. I think we need to revisit our curriculum uh, for primary school. You know, the Department for Basic Education needs to revisit the curriculum to include financial literacy and helping young people to actually set up businesses. Do not wait for them to turn 18, they get an ID book, and then that's when they can start a business. Let's promote financial literacy and entrepreneurship among young people. It is a basic 
requirement these days because why it gives them power it gives young girls the power to know that i can have my own bank account i can go to the bank have my own bank account deposit money of course when they are children they need parental guidance that is okay but they can own something as opposed to waiting for inheritance from a father from a, 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 a grandmother or to be bequeathed something. Let's normalize financial literacy and entrepreneurship among our children. Let's start them young. A number of organizations that I, uh, I work with do uh, exemplary well. Allow me to share three examples. Uh, one is called uh, Southern Africa Youth Project. In short, it's called SAPRO. SAPRO provides skills development for uh, young people who did not qualify to go to university or college, meaning there are young people who may have dropped out of uh, high school or don't even have matric. They provide training and all their courses are CETA accredited. And the courses range from uh, IT to hardware, software, coding and all that to even working in the hospitality industry. Another great organization, something they did amazing during COVID, this one is very specific to women on financial uh, empowerment of women, is called Young Global Entrepreneurs. They worked in an informal settlement uh, called Vusimuzi in Tembisa. They have a project called Help a Woman Feed Her Family. What do they do? Agribusiness. They teach women in the township to grow vegetables in their backyards using all sorts of resources and recyclable resources. You are empty buckets that is broken to bottles to uh, 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 growing potatoes in sacks and all that. And one of those projects was so powerful that um, the women were actually for the first time the women and the youth, this was focusing on women and youth. So the, most of the youth were boys and girls and the women, of course, they are those who are unemployed. They were able to feed their family during COVID. So that's number two. The third project is in Northern Cape, in a, uh, a place called Fanpexville. And this is uh, done by a project called, uh, an organization called Bifenet. They are empowering young people who are at risk of gangsterism, drugs, and all that. And we are talking about both men and women, empowering them through sports. They now have three, uh, uh, three sports clubs. One of them is netball, another one is rugby, the other one is football. And now they're going to the next step where they're actually going to train them with skills. And that's, we are working towards that uh, in collaboration with some of the partners and we are looking for funding to help these young people to make something out of their life. All these programs I have mentioned, they serve young South African boys and girls to equip them financially, to help the women to be financially independent, to help the men to understand that a woman is also an equal in the home because they go to classes, 70% of our intake is usually women, 30% are men, meaning young men, uh, from age about 15, 16, all the way to 30, 
depending on their um, their needs and their requirements. So these are examples of how um, the NGO Whisperer Center for Social Impact is collaborating with smaller nonprofits to make a difference in South Africa and to actually eliminate a financial illiteracy among our young people. Amazing work and really impactful stuff that, that is happening in our communities, uh, Dr. Pinde. I think final question from my side. Um, you know, you mentioned the importance of skill development and educating our, our youth and, um, and beyond. How can we make better use of technology in order to support people who are going through or experiencing any form of abuse, whether financial or otherwise? Technology, uh, we are now in the fourth industrial revolution where technology is a basic need. It's a basic requirement wherever you go. Uh, people have phones and it's a high time we start utilizing these resources because what we can do now, for example, with the Twitter spaces as we are, uh, I hope you are continuing to hashtag hear her voice and uh, also tag Standard Bank. As you continue to do this, the message is going further. And we need to use these spaces to share our information. Another thing is I would like to share what another organization that I am working with is doing. Because when we talk about it theoretically, maybe it's not really um, feasible. People will won't be able to imagine. But there's an amazing organization called Tears. Tears, um, their website is tears.coza. Um, and if you go to their website, um, you will find information. You will find information that is relevant. But the most important thing is they're using technology. They're using technology to be able to make it easy for someone who's uh, experiencing abuse to call, to reverse call, to send a text message, to be able to get support. And that is the power of technology. That is really the power of technology because technology can bring help to somebody who is locked somewhere in a house and cannot have access to, you know, me and you going there to support them. Technology can reach them at the touch of their of a button. They can go and find support on a website. And the example that I've given is Tears um, uh, Foundation. Their website, again, is tears.co.zm. And when you go there, you can get help. They have two technologies. One is called Help at Your Fingertips, where you actually send a free SMS helpline to uh, star 134, um, uh, star 7355 hash, and you get help. Another one is a new platform that they are building up to support young people. And this is a new platform that uh, young people can learn how to actually, uh, uh, where to get the information, where to help. And all this information that you're providing also on your blog will be found there also. And this is a platform that is youth friendly. Because some of the platforms we create for young people, it is so boring. There are no videos. Young people want videos. They want to watch something exciting. They want to watch something that relates to them. And that's how we can use technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's how we can use technology to educate young people. And remember, whenever you're using technology, there's technology that is appealing to 
older persons to uh, uh, mid-level kind of, or, or um, I would say, um, uh, age group. But there's also technology that appeals to young people, like TikTok videos appeal to young people so much. So let's utilize those and share this message so that young people, wherever they are, they can enjoy the message. And it's so entertaining, but it's also educational. Love that. Thank you very much, Dr. Opinde. And I think uh, with that final thought, that is probably all the time we've got for today. Um, thank you so much to everybody on this space for joining us today. And a very big thank you to our amazing guests for this afternoon, um, Cheryl Sabane and Dr. Carolyn Opinde. For more information on the NGO Whisperer Center for Social Impact, you can visit the website ngowhisperer.com. And to reach the Frida Hartley Shelter for Women and Children, you can give them a call on 011-648-6005. Can we create a safer South Africa for women and children? It can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can create a safer South Africa for women and children and for all to enjoy.